So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Oh, and here it is another week in what seems like just the endless drama of COVID. And I don't know about you, David, but I am feeling some pandemic fatigue today. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm with you. I am trying to take some extra precautions because, of course, nationwide, our numbers are spiking. But in our area, too, specifically, you know, numbers are spiking. And I have some people that I know pretty well that are not doing so hot right now with it. And, uh, and I'm trying to be careful, yeah. but I'm tired of being careful. And I'm tired of not of, of, of criticizing other people who aren't careful and <laughs> being this right. self-righteous yeah. Yeah. mask yeah. wearer that I am and all that. So how, how is your fatigue showing up? For me, uh, well, let me see, uh, you know, uh, resentment and mm -hmm. resistance. Um, I just feel so deprived and entitled. I, I went to, a, I was in, invited to a wedding this last Oh, yeah. And, okay, so it was going to be, it's an outdoor wedding, very small, only 37 people. Uh, we're going to be socially distanced. Uh, so, you know... Because Allie, as I've told you, is so vulnerable to the comorbidities mm -hmm. uh, uh, associated with COVID, I'm you know I'm very careful. That's why I didn't go to the big Samson yeah. retreat. But I but this is a friend of mine. It's a guy I've been walking with for several years. Uh. You know, so I made the drive. Allie stayed home, and I went down. And uh, these folks, I, I guess I hadn't read the invitation or I hadn't listened. I don't know. I was on autopilot. What I didn't know was. I don't know whether this is a thing. They actually had a private ceremony in the morning I, with nobody around. And then I, what I was invited to was the party. It was the uh, the reception. Oh, wow. So, I mean, it was a beautiful place. It was an outdoor rural setting. And, the, you know, it was picture perfect. However, not a soul was wearing a mask. Uh. And... And dinner was set up at two long tables where we would be seated elbow to elbow. Mm. And, you know, and I took a look at the room and said a couple, you know, hellos to a couple of people. I, it, it, and then, of course, my natural introversion kicks in. And, the, you know, the, the, you know the, the, the adolescent in me looks around and says, I don't know anybody. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing was going yeah. on as well. And suddenly I had lots of, lots of good reasons to leave. I, so I had mixed feelings about leaving. I did, you know, I wasn't there to help celebrate the marriage of a good friend, but, uh, and I, you know, driving away thinking, I just got ripped off again by this damn virus. Yeah. yeah. Oh you know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. 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 I, we, I, I get that. And to show up someplace and realize that maybe everybody's not, taking the precautions, you know, that, um, yeah. because you, it's not just for you, you have to go home and risk what you might, you know, bring to Allie and, um, you have to think about right, all sure. kinds of things. And, um, and it is hard, you know, my mom is 84 and she has, um, reluctantly, uh, opted to forego Thanksgiving dinner this year. And, uh, and that was a big, yeah. you know, decision. We had relatives, uh, scheduled to come in and, uh, but their, uh, choice was going to be to stay in a hotel and then come to the house, you know, after, uh, on Thanksgiving day, which we didn't feel like was a great plan. And, um, my sister has, you know, autoimmune, uh, issues and, 
my mom has just had a, a yeah. heart procedure in the last couple of months. And uh, we just felt like, you know, we were all kind of risking, you know, all these things that just didn't feel right. But yeah, then you do feel robbed and resentful and irritable and angry and, um, and, uh, and ready for it to be over. And, you know, and, and you and I know in recovery and adversity that, uh, just because you're ready for something to end does not really mean that that's going to happen. Um, just because yeah. your, your ready button has been hit, you know, doesn't really mean that that's exactly how it's going to go. We may have a stretch ahead of us that's way beyond our comfort zones. And, so yeah, I'm 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 feeling you. I, I totally totally hear that. I'm ready for us not to have to uh have this consideration, but maybe if we do this a little while longer, we can um hopefully uh come to an end. Well, uh, uh, this last weekend I medicated with fried food. That's basically that was my... not only did you do that, you did it in front of the whole free world because I saw it on Facebook. <laughs> Oh, so so here's the thing. Uh, on our way back from our, our trip to Florida a few weeks ago, uh, Allie and I and Allie's friend Karen stopped f- for lunch in Andalusia, oh Alabama at a catfish oh, house. Wow. And uh, on the menu in the catfish house was under the appetizer section, something they called redneck beignets, B-E-N-Y-A-Y-S. Like the little donut things. Beignets. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Well, I, you know, like a fancy hush <laughs> basically. So, you know, we asked the waitress, you know, what is this? And she goes, well, I don't know. It's got sweet potatoes in it, whatever. So I ordered half a dozen of them and we ordered lunch. And um, the appetizer came first and the girls took one bite of these deep fried dough ball uh-huh. things and practically went orgasmic <laughs> and they just went good now now they regretted ordering lunch because they would have eaten three platefuls oh, of yeah. these things. So so it is a sweet potato concoction, you know, deep fried and dusted with confectioner right. sugar. And I was so taken by them and my wife's reaction to them and I thought, you know, they, the world needs to know <laughs> about red uh, redneck beignets. <laughs> So I started experimenting when I got home and realized that I couldn't replicate them with my little mixer and, you know, deep frying in a cast iron skillet. So I bought a big stand mixer and I bought a deep fryer. <laughs> Just for the beignets. <laughs> you betcha. They must you be betcha. something else. <laughs> and, and I have been experimenting. I've been experimenting with my own uh-huh. recipes. Which is which is fantastic, except you know the only way you can determine the success of a recipe is to actually consume the product. Uh, it, <laughs> so you're the taster in your own test kitchen. I am. Yes, <laughs> that's uh-huh. awesome. And I've got. Uh, I have the. You know, I'm afraid I'm developing the waistline. Well, if you uh, need somebody to pick up a second shift over there for you, I could. <laughs> I could. I'll tell you what, I, I created something this weekend called, uh, I don't know, I've never seen it anywhere else, but I created the butterscotch sweet potato oh, beignet. Oh, man. It'll make you slap your mama. <laughs> so good. That is awesome. I mean, just the just all those words together make me hungry. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I, okay, so I want to know, how how did, did Allie give you the, the verdict? Is it all... Oh, Allie, Allie loves them. And, you know, you can, because she said, please take them away, take them away. You know, after she'd had uh-huh. a couple, because, you know, if they're going to be in front of you, you're just going to eat oh, the yeah. whole damn plate. Yeah. Well, why not too, you know? Oh yeah. man, that yeah. sounds awesome. But, uh, you know, that, one of the, one of the gifts of recovery, David, is that we can actually develop other interests. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But the danger is that we can turn those interests into backup addictions. I was going to say, new addictions, yeah. Uh, Yeah, because I could see me getting up at, I don't know, midnight, 2 a.m. and popping a batch of those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, what I've I've also, in the last few weeks, purchased a combination air fryer uh, instant pot. There's no more room on my counter for yeah. gadgets. Hardly room for anything because I do it all loaded You're with have the equipment. Commercial kitchen. But, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I've got these 
beignets, I, and they're in the fridge. Maybe transfer some to the freezer, but I found that if I pop them into the air fryer, yeah, they're they're good two two three days later. <laughs> anyway, more than our listeners want to know. But here's it, it is wonderful, isn't it? That in recovery, we can you know break out of this obsessive pattern in which our world gets smaller and smaller and smaller and our interest in anything other than our primary medicator slowly fades away and we can actually you know recover an enthusiasm for life and and have an awakening uh an emotional awakening an artistic awakening Mm -hmm. a spiritual awakening life can gradually get bigger and bigger you know, and along with, in my case, our waistline, I guess. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it can happen. But I'll tell you, at least you remember the beignets. You know, I mean, that's the, <laughs> yeah, that's <right. laughs> the gift of recovery <laughs> is that you don't have to be told about them tomorrow. Um, like some of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wake up in the morning. What uh, did what, I cook? What yeah. did I eat? Um, Apparently I had food. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we've got um, a great guest coming up who's going to talk about an awakening, a spiritual awakening, and uh, a, you know another wonderful story of you know the life-giving experience that is recovery. Now, I wasn't able to participate in this conversation, but you uh, had the privilege of talking with Esther Nicholson, yes. uh, and I had the pleasure of listening. We're going to share that now with our listeners. Stay with us. Friends, we'll be back in a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And our guest today is Esther Nicholson. And Esther is an author, speaker, uh, singer, musician, um, fellow recovering person. Um, and Esther's got a great story and she's got a great, um, approach toward recovery. That's very fresh, very spiritually focused that I want her to tell us about soul recovery, uh, is the name of her book and her program. Esther, welcome to the positive sobriety podcast. Thank you, David. I'm honored to be here. Well, I'm really honored to have you. I appreciate so much you making the time for us, and I know you're busy. I saw your schedule on your website, and uh, you are in demand. (laughs) Well, recovery is definitely in demand, right? (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, more and more and more. And, you know, um, I'm glad for people like you that are uh, putting a, a fresh voice to some things that we've all heard you know, for a long time. And um, so, but, you know, before we get started, tell me about yourself. Tell me a little bit about how you um, found your way into uh, this way of life. Well, in my 35 years of recovery, I, 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 I realized that my first addiction was to wanting to belong wanting to be included. And that's how I smoked my first joint, right? It it wasn't because I wanted to get high. I didn't even know what that was, right? Yeah. I wanted to belong to the with the kids that were doing it. Um I wanted them to think that I was okay, that I was cool, that I I could be with them. And so that was um one of my first addictions. And then of course you know, I started smoking weed. I never liked weed, first of all. <laughs> my, the, the first time I got high, it took me about 30 minutes to cross the street. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the cars looked closer and closer, right? Yeah, and it yeah. It took me forever to cross that dang street. Um, oh, right. But when I um, was introduced to cocaine, it was a different um experience. It was euphoric. It dissolved um, the feelings of insecurity and unworthiness. And it dissolved all of that. Uh, Mm. Any trauma that I'd experienced, it just just wiped it away. And I was totally myself and free. And I mean, you know, the just the chemical aspect of it 
you know, it, it creates the phenomenon of craving. Right. Um, the, the, the physical allergy. So, you know, even when I didn't want to do it, even when I didn't want to leave my daughter, my seven-year-old daughter home alone all night long, I would do that because that's what the drug would make me do. Mm-hmm. Um, and my bot, my bottom, you know, I, I had a culmination of, of bottoms, but the last two bottoms that, that I really had, um, was when I had to surrender my daughter to my family because I was an unfit mother and Mm. I knew I couldn't stop. I knew I couldn't stop doing cocaine. I had no idea when I was ever going to. Um, I, I really knew that something was really, really, really wrong, even though I was still in denial of it, but I was so tired of hurting this little girl. Mm. And, um, I sent her to live with my family where, if I was if I was going to be taken out, at least she wouldn't be involved in it. Yeah, you know, at least you know she would have um, a place to be, a place to people that loved her, people that were family, and she didn't have to not she didn't have to wonder when her mom or if her mom was coming home. You know, right? And I wrote about that in my book of walking her to the drug dealer's house at four a.m. Um, thinking that was safer than leaving her at home. But of course, when you're a drug addict, you're insane. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So that was one of my really big bottoms. And then another big bottom that I had was when I was in the, in in the back of a cab directing the, the, the driver to take me to the drug dealer's house. And he turned around to face me in the back seat instead of driving where I had instructed him to drive. And he said to me, young lady, please don't kill yourself today. He like, he just knew that I was tweaked. I was gone and where the neighborhood where I was asking him. Mm. to me. And wow. And I just think that that was such a spiritual experience because the miracle wasn't what he said. I'd been mm-hmm. told that a million times. Right. But a miracle happened in that moment where a cosmic shift happened and I, and and it's just like when I was having that experience with cocaine, everything fell away. Everything fell away. It's like, it's like the, a fog had lifted or the veils had parted and I caught a glimpse of who I really was as an expression of God. Mm. And it was the most beautiful liberating powerful experience i'd ever had except this wasn't temporary this was real this mm. was based on a drug this was like just pure higher power pure essence pure light right right and, but in that light i was given two choices very clearly that either i was going to get out of the taxi and go back in my apartment and in earnest really begin my recovery process. Or I was going to demand that he take me where I wanted to go. And I was going to die that day. It's like, that's what the light told me. And I knew, I knew it. I knew I could not afford if I wanted to live, that this wasn't one of those situations where, Oh, I'll be all right. You know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I knew. And I got out of the cab and I went back into my apartment and, you know, I was a relapser for two years prior to that moment. And I, uh, called one of my, uh, recovery sisters and I said, this is it, please help me. And, um, that's when I really started practicing the 12 steps in earnest and Mm -hmm. I started having a spiritual experience and it changed me forever. Um, so that's a part of my story Yeah, of of how I got started. Yeah, man, that is, that is powerful and remarkable because as I remember from, um, hearing part of your, um, uh, some of your talks, you were raised in the church, the traditional, uh, in the traditional sense. Right. And so spiritual things weren't 
um, foreign concepts to you. Why was this uh, experience so much more profound, do you think? Because having a religious um, upbringing Mm -hmm. is very different than having a spiritual experience. (laughs) I love it. Yeah. Um, I was raised in a religious family and a good, uh-huh. a good family, right? An alcoholic family with all of <laughs> <our> religion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and I was raised or how I took it was I was raised to fear God, to beg God, to beseech God, to have to be perfect for God. Um, Versus knowing that I was one with God and that God was love. Mm. Yeah. So when you're yeah. finally freed from a, a performance God, yeah. a performance-based God, then you're free, right? Well, well, and, and that takes having an experience because even in recovery or whatever spiritual practice you're practicing, Mm-hmm. Um, the letter of truth is very powerful and very important. It starts to open you up to surrender. Mm-hmm. But until you actually have the experience of that something that no one can take away from you because mm-hmm. you've had the experience and it's a knowingness that is non-debatable. It's unquestioned. You know that you've had it. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. So it's not coming from your five senses. It's not coming from your intellect. It's coming from your very beingness. Mm-hmm. Which is very different than having a religious upbringing. In fact, the first time when I got to the 11th step, which is sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God, I was scared to death. I'm like, mm. I'm like Baptists don't meditate. <laughs> scared to death. But I had that experience of my higher power in the third step, like where the stillness and the peace and the love and the grace that I felt in that, I knew that that was waiting for me. Um, and so my sponsor, I told my sponsor how afraid I was of meditating because of course the ego believes that it's going to be annihilated. Mm -hmm. If it, if it, if it, uh, gives up that kind of control and I'm sorry, can you hear that noise outside of my house? No, I can't. Great, great. Um, <laughs> the, the grass blowers and the, the workers are out there right now. Oh, um, yeah. And uh, I remember her telling me, if you want to know God, baby, these are her exact words. If you want to know God, baby, you have to meditate. And that was all it took for me. It's like, okay, well, then if, if, if I want that experience that I had at the third step, if I want to go deeper with that, then... I need to do the 11th step. And, you know, I love that it talks about in the big book that everyone's spiritual experience is different. Right. Um, and I want to share that with your listeners that you may not have my experience. What's important is that you have your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and my experience was profound and deep and like the burning bush experience. Um, yeah. There were lights, cameras, action. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My chakras were open and I didn't even know anything about chakras. And, uh-huh. um, um, and I was changed forever. Wow. And so how, as you get into 12 step work and you're, you know, attending uh, the meetings I'm assuming here, um, how did you begin to realize that, that you might, be seeing a way that that it needed to be a little bit i'm going to be careful how to say it but tweaked a little bit to to fit um where you were finding yourself spiritually where you were finding your truth right well to be very 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 transparent um because i was so committed to my 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 relationship uh with my higher power and so committed to practicing the steps so that I could keep that relationship mm-hmm. that the meetings um, that I attended, I had outgrown. Mm-hmm. I wasn't interested anymore 
and mm-hmm. hearing the same stories over and over and over again. I understand that we all have them, but I was being called to go deeper. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped going to meetings actually. And I started practicing ancient wisdom, new thought. And, and it was a very hard decision for me because we are trained in the anonymous programs, especially in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and Cocaine Anonymous, that if we ever stop going to meetings, we're going to get loaded. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very scary decision for me. But I was, and it wasn't a, 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 a conscious, cognitive decision. It was where I was being led. Right. And so I started practicing metaphysics, mm-hmm. which elevated me and, and gave me an even deeper understanding of the nature of the universe and my oneness with it. Mm-hmm. Like even the 12 steps, they led me to that. I don't believe that I would have been able to have gotten there without the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that. I could work the 12 steps the way I do today without metaphysics. And so I found that when I went into metaphysics and uh, new thought and ancient wisdom, um, that I really got into that. And for a while I stopped working steps and I found myself crazy again Mm -hmm. because there's a certain way that those teachings are taught that really don't advocate accountability. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And rigorous honesty. Yeah. And making amends. And without that, so, you know, I was on the high of knowing that I was one with God and manifestation and all of that stuff. I, you know, that becomes addictive too. Right. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But then I wasn't being responsible over here the, the way you need to be in the steps. Mm-hmm. Right. We've seen a pe- person fail who has thorough, thoroughly followed our path. So I had to find a way to bridge the gap. Right. And bring both of those very powerful healing modalities together. And then with other healing modalities, such as EFT and the Sedona method and, um, all of that, it just created this, I believe, a complete spiritual practice. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're covering everything and it's continuing to take you deeper and deeper and deeper. And then it is from there that your consciousness is elevated to such a level that you absolutely can create the life that you desire. And you know, I found that I was trying to create the life that I desired, which is a very high frequency, spiritually and emotionally and physically and financially and all of that from a frequency of lack and limitation and chronic anxiety and trauma. Ah, okay. Yeah. Right? So, so this work, soul recovery brings you to that level where it's like, yes, you know, or no, rather, life is not about laboring and efforting and begging and beseeching and um, stress. It's about ease and grace when you're in that consciousness. It's not supposed Mm -hmm. to be hard. And so I also include scripture with that and all of that where, you know, one of my favorite scriptures says, you know, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. And the focus represents your false beliefs, the the years that your false beliefs and your unhealed trauma and your unhealed pain has eaten up Mm -hmm. that get to this elevated state of connection. It's given back to you. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I love that scripture, by the way. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I've heard it applied in a lot of different ways, but I love your context. Yeah. Thank Uh, you. Yeah, because that, uh, you know, the, I, I think that a lot of times in my own story, the broken beliefs that I had for many years kept me sick. Yeah. You know, um, and kept me um, as a relapser, <laughs> so to speak, mm-hmm. you know, um, like you're saying. And, um, and then when you do begin to uh, relax and, realize that God is not 
this uh, entity that's, you know, got a tote board in the sky somewhere and you're on the comedy channel in hell to live out your life in <laughs> front of it, you know, um, that uh, you, you begin to experience that freedom. But when, so, so you're, when you, when you began to pull back from the meetings, Esther, did you, uh, where did you find your community? Um, Agape International in Los Angeles. Yeah. Cause you're on the West coast. Well, now I'm, I'm uh, in, in Nashville, but I, Oh, okay. Okay. West Coast for 32 years. And I started attending that community um, and became a licensed practitioner where I really learned and experienced my oneness with God. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I also learned that that can only take me so far if I'm not accountable in the 12 steps because we get blocked. Mm-hmm. We get, we get blocked by our selfishness, our self-centeredness and our self-seekingness. And I don't care how spiritual you seem to be over here. If you're not being accountable over here and just ignoring those things, you're going to get blocked. Your connection is going to get blocked. Mine did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So yeah. To have a clear connection, it was important for me to do all of it. Right. Right. And so meditation is um, largely the focal point of soul recovery, right? So, um, no, meditation is, is, is just one aspect of soul recovery. Um, it is definitely, I believe, one of the most powerful pathways, one of the um, most powerful tools to get you to the divine within yourself. And I tell people, don't worship meditation, worship what it gets you to. Mm -hmm. How would you, yeah. How would you address somebody? um, Now let's, let's say you're in, you're in Nashville and you're in the Bible belt here, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, How would you address somebody that uh, is kind of meditation averse, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, meditation skeptical because um, you know, maybe their concept of prayer is uh, you know, preaching, to God mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a period of time every day or something. And, um, and I don't mean that, you know, in a, a snarky way, I just mean that I think I've fallen into that and, uh, you know, we think that we're praying and we're just telling God what to do. Um, but meditation is very different. And so how would you, how would you, uh, introduce meditation to somebody that may think they understand it, but maybe they don't. Um, with an open heart. Mm-hmm with an open heart and listening to what they have to say and what it is that they need and what it is that they're afraid of. Right. Mm -hmm. And then sharing with them my experience of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and also using scripture, you know, because scripture is what they understand and, and using it and, 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 and sharing it with them from, this perspective and, and learning about their perspective. I don't think that you can teach people until you learn about them until you're interested in what they have to say, you know, Mm -hmm. um, so that you can support them where they are. I believe in supporting people where they are. Right. And, and I, and I believe that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. If I am your teacher, then this is a part of what I teach, but I'm not going to rush you into it. I'm not going to badger you into it. I'm just going to gently hold you until you want to do it. I'm going to let you know that, you know, in, in my experience um, and my belief that it's, that it's very difficult to quiet your mind and go into the stillness with a very busy mind that's constantly talking to God and telling God what to do versus going within and actually being at a, at a, in a place of such humility and awe that you can listen and just be. Um, so, and if I'm not your teacher, then I totally respect where you are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And do you see clients, uh, privately? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Great. And, um, what about treatment centers and, uh, places where people are maybe in residential treatment for recovery, uh, for a period of time? Do you work with the treatment community at all? Um, yes, I have been for uh, 
quite a while now. I, you know, I go and I speak at their, at their events. I go and do, um, residential workshops on soul recovery. Um, I do alumni retreats. So, <laughs> excuse me. I do a lot of recovery, uh, webinars and events online right now as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. Nashville is a good recovery town. I mean, there is, there are a lot of, uh, treatment options here, but a lot of, um, a lot of places that people take a lot of different approaches to, uh, recovery as I've experienced. Right. Um, so how, just an aside question, how are you enjoying the South as opposed to being on the West coast for so long? Well, for, <laughs> for the first 10 years of being here, I didn't like it at all. Mm-hmm. And I had one foot in the West coast and one foot here. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people started expanding and moving away in on the, on the West coast that I considered you know, my spiritual family and, and my family and all of that, things changed. And it's like, well, wait a minute, do I really want to move back there? And, <laughs> um, and I don't know. It's like when I was in the process of making plans to move back there, it's like spirit within me just said, nope, you're home. Mm. And the moment that I decided that, then it's like this amazing tribe is being created right here in Nashville for me. Because a lot of people have moved here from the West Coast. Um, mm-hmm. and the East coast and, you know, internationally. Um, so I'm finding a much more diverse, uh, community here that, you know, we get each other versus, yeah. um, versus just being in the Bible belt where it's like, I felt just totally kind of alone because, mm-hmm. um, it, it just didn't feel like there was a connection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Esther, how can people get in touch with you um, and, uh, you know, your contact information, websites, all of that? How can we find out more about what you're doing and soul recovery and how to access you? Yes. Um, to become a part of the soul recovery tribe, just go and sign up for my uh, email list at Mail. Dot com and that's Esther without an H E S T E R mail.com. If you just want some general information about soul recovery, about me, then go to soulrecovery.org. And if anything that I'm saying here today really moves someone and they want uh, to have a private consultation with me, a 20 minute free consultation to see how I can move you forward, then so I'm giving you three calls to action. Then please email me at Esther, again, no H, at Esther Nicholson, N-I-C-H-O-L-S-O-N dot com. Yeah. And I will say, I, I had the opportunity to do um, a couple of your um, two-minute meditations that are on your website. Um, and I'd really commend those to people because the, um, you know, the idea, oh, I don't have a half hour to meditate. I don't have whatever. These two minutes were really well crafted and beautiful music and just a very, um, well put together experience. And, um, so I would even just urge the listeners to, you know, tap on those two minute, two minute meditations. Um, and, uh, just as a break, <laughs> and how you do that is by signing up at estermail.com. And you'll get 21 days of those free in your in your email box every day. And there is an option to opt out of that because everybody doesn't want me in their email box every day for 21 days, um, even though it's a meditation. So you you can also opt out of that. But if you if you want the 21 days of free meditations, then sign up at estermail.com. Yeah. And and before we get away here, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this. I saw on your website as you as the singer I mentioned, uh, you know, in your intro there, uh, a picture of you singing with Rod Stewart and you shared the stage with Beyonce and all of that. Can you give us a peek into your um, life as a musical person? Absolutely. Um so I was born singing. I was born into a, a family of, of, of singers and and musicians. And um, I was just really blessed and gifted, which is the power of 
visualization and setting your intention, which is also a part of soul recovery, because, you know, Bette Midler, Bette Midler's office called me when I was on my nanny job (laughs) (laughs) and said, how much would you charge us to go on tour? Wow. Because I remember hearing her on the radio one day and chills went through my body and it's like, I like her, but Mm -hmm. I never thought, ever thought of singing with Bette Midler. Uh Uh-huh. And, um, and it, it, it literally landed in my lap without my having any of the tools that a vocalist is supposed to have. I didn't have any headshots. I didn't have a, um, a a video. I didn't have, you know, any recordings of my songs or, or any of that. Somebody Uh heard, somebody heard me sing at church and, um, and, and basically kind of the same thing happened with, uh, Rod Stewart. Um, and what I want to say about that experience, and I, and I talk about this in my talk, um, return, uh, returning home to the authentic self, mm. is that even after being clean from any kind of drugs, any kind of mind-altering drugs, for 10 years, I was still addicted to the illusion of not being good enough, of mm. feeling unworthy and undeserving. So what should have been the highlight, the highlights of my musical career, doing two world tours with Bette Midler and Rod Stewart, and then being so incredibly supportive of me, they were the most anxiety-filled times of my life because Uh, single day, I didn't feel like I deserved it. mm. Single day, I was waiting for someone to tell me, hey, we just realized you're not good enough. Go home. You're, we're sending you home. Same thing wow. when I um, was chosen out of 4,000 people, one out, you know, uh, 20 people out of 4,000 people to go to South Africa to um, anchor the peace prior to the, the election of Nelson Mandela. Um, mm. Should have been an, a highlight of my life. It was miserable because I was obsessed and I was disconnected and I was scared and all of that. So a part of my work is really acknowledging the addiction to those life diminishing emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, it's called yeah. the mental obsession, right? So there's the duality, mm-hmm. there's a spiritual malady, and then there's the mental obsession and then there's the physical allergy. And I believe that happens just as much emotionally as it does when you're taking an actual drug. So, um, and, and I invite people to look at the times in your life where you landed your dream job or you landed your dream relationship or something amazing happened in your life. And you were so filled with anxiety and feelings of not being enough that you couldn't be there for it. Wow. Felt like a fraud for having it. And it's like that is, and, and it talks about that in the big book that fear should be, you know, um, connected to, to, to stealing. It just robs you of your life. And mm-hmm. recovery is about getting deep in there and starting to heal that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think recovery is rooted in self-loathing? I mean, not recovery. I'm sorry. Addiction is rooted in uh, self-loathing. I believe that addiction is rooted in the spiritual malady. Mm. Um, the number one addiction is the belief that you're separate and apart from God Uh or higher power, which is your authentic self. Uh Right. Uh Um, And when you're disconnected, for instance, you know, a baby, when a baby is born, they are so connected because they haven't been trained yet. They haven't been conditioned yet to believe that they're not good enough, that they don't matter that, you know, conditioned in shame and all of that. They're just pure energy. They're just pure God. Right. And and then they learn, we learned. So our, our addiction is rooted in that disconnection. Mm -hmm. Our recovery is rooted in unlearning the lie, Mm. learning the lies that we've embodied about ourselves so that we can awaken to what is real. And when we awaken to what is real, the mental obsession dissolves and the physical allergy dissolves because you're not insane enough <laughs> to keep putting something <laughs> in your body that harms you, right? So, you know, when we straighten out spiritually, we straighten out 
emotionally and physically. Wow. Well, that's a great, that's a great exclamation point to end on maybe. Um, <laughs> that's, that's really, that's powerful and profound. I, Esther, I appreciate so much you making time for us today and um, just uh, the work you're doing, the message that you have. Um, I hope people will avail themselves to your uh, website, to your materials, to your meditations. And, um, and gosh, I, um, being in Nashville, um, I don't know how I missed that part, but, uh, I would love to get to meet you face to face someday. So, uh, that would be a lot of fun. Do you live in Nashville? I do. Yeah. Nate and I, Nate, Nate lives in Franklin and I live right now. I live on eighth Avenue, uh, toward downtown. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Are are you guys, you know, social distancing, but still like meeting with people? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, seeing clients in my office. We, you know, have masks getting into the building, but then we keep good distance in the office, but yeah, I'll, I'll still, um, catch some time with people now if, you know, we're all careful. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's email each other and set it and set a date for, a, a, you know, a Saturday or a Sunday to, have some lunch or something, break bread together. That sounds like a great thing. Well, Esther, thank you again. Um, we will, um, uh, we will, I'm sure be able to catch up soon. And, um, and again, listeners avail yourself to soul recovery and, um, the great material that Esther's brought to us today. So, uh, listeners, uh, hang right here with us and we will be back in just a moment on the positive sobriety podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, I uh, I wish you could have been a part of that conversation. I know you would have brought some great insights as well, but I enjoyed Esther's perspective so much. And one of the things that really jumped out at me when we were talking was she was saying that um, she feels that addiction is rooted in our disconnection from God. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, self-loathing and as much as we talk about trauma and all those things, which I believe are all part of the, the, you know, uh, crazy puzzle, but she really, um, emphasized how, um, just how, when we are so disconnected from our, um, creator and from the, uh, the true experience of accepting ourselves as loved, um, beings, uh, perfectly that we are going to go somewhere to find it or to create it or try to. And, um, man, I just, I thought she just, um, she really, really made me think about a lot of things. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's pertinent that any religious system that, um, that makes us feel disconnected from God, uh, actually, can feed addiction. Mm-hmm. Certainly did it. Certainly did in my case, mm-hmm. where where I could never feel securely connected, never feel secure, you know, unconditionally loved and cared for. Always on tenterhooks, mm-hmm. dangling over the dangling over the flames of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that system that was intended to scare me straight, to keep me walking the straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. You know, for fear of you know ca- catastrophic consequences. Right. Really only fed my addictive behavior. I was running like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. The whole the whole idea that, you know, if we were just uh if we just punished people more severely for their bad stuff, they would do better, you know. Yeah. Uh is kind of that is so counterintuitive because um, you know, it's uh, I, I think I, I'm not good with uh, exactly where verses are, but you know, in the Bible there is a verse that says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, and yes. I do believe that um, that that uh, long suffering kindness uh, in my situation certainly uh, yes. was uh, instrumental in in bringing me into recovery because I would have I would have just given somebody the finger and gone on if I'd, you know, been punished repeatedly for all the stuff that I had done because I was punishing yes. myself 
enough. But, um, but I also loved her approach about, uh, to meditation and some of the ways that she has, um, taken, um, a a religious understanding and, and created a meditative practice that works for her as well. And, uh, that was, that was uh, a point that I felt like we all could, in my own uh, life, be challenged more with is, um, you know, the meditative mindfulness practices and not just, you know, preaching to God and calling it prayer and things like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So appreciated. Yeah. And I love that she came from this great musical uh, heritage of uh, experiences with Bette Midler and Rod Stewart and others. And, and that she, you know, she was really honest about saying she didn't enjoy it because she didn't think she deserved it. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, man, how many times in our own lives we're just robbed of, uh, the most wonderful gifts and, uh, all because we don't allow ourselves, uh, to, to believe that we're okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was, I, I I hope the listeners, uh, avail themselves to her material. I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. And I'd love to hear our listeners reaction as well to the conversation. Yeah, certainly, uh, you know, uh, correspond with Esther, connect with her, but also, hey, drop us a line and let us know how this hit you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can reach us at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Right. And uh, I'll just add our quick little uh, plug for our sponsor, betterhelp.com. Um, I hope that everybody is um, availing themselves to some good uh, therapy that feels like they need it. And this is a great way to get it without having to leave the house, um, 24 hours a day. And, uh, you can have your own therapist, betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety, gets you a 10% discount on your initial signups. And if you find that you're not paired well with a therapist that works with you, you can get another one, no questions, no hard feelings, and you can get out of these stuck places of um, depression and anxiety and have some help processing some of the things in your life that you want to change. And uh, Mm. BetterHelp is affordable and it's um, accessible. And man, in this uh, environment, in our culture right now, affordable and accessible are two big deals. So um, you don't have to leave the house and it might just fit your budget. So betterhelp.com slash positive sobriety. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up for this week's episode. Uh, And we've got, of course, we got more coming down the line. Until next time. Until next time. I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich, uh, hair and makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford. 